0: lengthy one so we'll be spending a few weeks here but uh, so we're going to be looking at some truth here this morning in this chapter and then uh, setting up for some more amazing things we'll be looking at in Leviticus chapter 25. So you with me in Leviticus chapter 25 we are going to be looking at God's plan of seven sevens okay, and we're not even covering some of the other things that uh, that God has shown us by, through this number seven, but here we go back again. Now, God, I think you and I have seen in Leviticus that God has already used this number seven quite a few times when we talked about the feast, when we talked about some of the other issues. Well, God goes back to this in chapter seven, uh, chapter seven, chapter 25. He reminds us again this number seven, and he's trying to nail this home with us that he has a picture here and again this is about God's sovereignty and today we're going to be focusing briefly on God's providing his providence and how he takes care of us all right and there's a few things that hopefully uh we'll be able to chalk up in our minds and then be done this morning and uh, get set up for the next time because there's a few a few uh, heavier things we're going to be talking about a few uh Sort of deep thoughts this morning, but also uh, next week as well, but all in regards to God's plan. So we've already seen, okay, that God uses the number seven to picture plans for this, for salvation, all right? We talked about those feasts, remember? And how the first four feasts picture exactly what Christ was going to do with salvation. And then the last three feasts of the seven, are things that are coming in the future because of the salvation that Christ has bought. So he's used that number seven to show us that. He also uses it to symbolize his promises. Then we talk about that God sevens something. He sabbaths it. Okay, those uh, root words are the same. That if God makes a promise, he says, I'm going to seven this deal. That's my stamp of approval. Okay, I'm telling you it's going to be Linked with the number seven, just to tell you, when we talk about the number of seven, the number of perfection or completion, more often completion is a better word. But again, it is saying that this thing is a done deal. All right, you with me so far? Because we're going to be looking at the number seven again this morning. Can't get away from it. Okay. He also uses the number seven to illustrate his design for this universe. Okay, and we'll talk about that a little bit deeper in a minute. But God is reminding us that. He continuously uses this number okay, to show us that he has a divine plan. It is laid out, clear as a bell, okay, in some of these areas, at least. And from his point of view, before he even designed the first molecule, the first atom, before he spoke any of this universe into existence, he already knew exactly what he was going to do and had laid it out. And then he continuously gives us this imagery. So if you go with me to chapter 25, verses one We're going to read. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land that I will give you, then ye shall uh, shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years thou shalt sow a field, and six years thou shalt prune a vineyard, and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year, thou shalt be a Sabbath of rest unto the land. A Sabbath for the Lord. Okay? Thou shalt neither sow thy field, nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of the harvest, thou shalt not reap, neither gather grapes thereof. Thy shalt, uh, excuse me, of the vine undressed, For it is a year of rest to the land, and the Sabbath of the land shall be meat for you, for thee and for thy servants and for thy maid, for thy hired servants and for the stranger that sojourneth among you, and for thy cattle and for the beasts that are in the land shall the increased thereof be meat. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again that you have an ultimate plan. And Lord, you give us insights into that. And Lord, it is definitely clued in for us with this number seven that you use in the scriptures over and over and over. And so, Father, I just thank you um, for allowing us in your picture book to see these pictures, see this imagery, see these symbols. Uh, Lord, you created our minds. You knew exactly how to help us to visualize and to understand things that are above our intellect, above our feeble minds. So, Father, I just pray we can scratch the surface here. We won't be able to know all these things for sure because we are certainly not you. But, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would help us to understand. Be with my words, uh, Lord, as we set this introduction. And thank you, Father, for your sovereignty and your providing. In Jesus' name, amen. So... He uses this number seven. Now, the, in thinking of the universe and the things that God did, there was another number that continues to come up. Uh, and the uh, next slide says, God uses the number three in creation to reflect his nature. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's several verses in the Bible. I didn't even put all of them up. But it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God, that this universe reflects his nature, who he is. Okay, and we see it. Next slide, Okay, we see man in the creation of man. Man is body, soul, and spirit. We know time is past, present, and future. We know matter is solid, liquid, gas. Okay, every color that you and I see with our eyes in this world is designed from three primary colors. Okay, and anybody who uses a copier or a printer knows that. Other than black, okay, you have three colors that you put in, and those three color cartridges will create every single color that exists in the world. Okay, God over and over uses imagery. Now, here's something kind of neat about this. I'll get to the last line of that uh, slide in a moment, but God, if you look up, you know, just Google it. If you look it up yourself and say, what are the two? What are the most reoccurring numbers in nature? Okay, these are not religious people who figure this out. This is scientific people, scientists and others physicists, you know, uh, they have looked at nature and found that there are numbers that pop up more regularly than any other number, okay, and you can get into some technicality, they'll say 1.376 is this, or, you know, or 3.14 pi, or, you know, they start getting into all the little technicalities, but when you're talking about general numbers that kind of encompass everything that goes on in this world and in, in nature in the universe there are two numbers that take the front seven and three It's just amazing the scientists have discovered that and those are the two numbers that god has chosen right from the very beginning to illustrate okay himself in this universe seven and three okay so it's just pretty cool when you understand that again i'm a science nut and i love when science comes around and agrees that the Bible has said something that's truthful. Okay, the Bible is true. Dan talked about it this morning, that Jesus Christ is truth. The living word, the written word, is truth. When science comes and confirms that God's word is truth, you go, yep, told you. (laughs) So it's just amazing to see this. So God uses numbers, especially those two. Okay, number three. That reflects in some of the things that he's created, and this number seven, which talks about his great plan. So, notice uh, I w- don't want to go past this. This was a, pa- uh, a passage that was spoken to God, uh, to Moses in Mount Sinai. Okay, so if you remember correctly, we started the book of Leviticus and Abraham. Abraham, Moses, okay, enters the tabernacle, and God speaks most of the book of Leviticus in a one month period of time while Moses is in the tabernacle, okay? This information was given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. And in, in regards to that, he talks about, remember, he was they were delivered from Egypt, and God says, listen, when you get to the land that I will give you, okay, and there's the key to this, okay? He says, when you enter the land, okay, they haven't gotten to the land yet. As a matter of fact, didn't they spend 40 years of wandering before they got there, so these things apply, but only when they entered into the promised land, alright, so just to qualify that, because we're talking about specifically, next slide, the sabbatical year, it is all about the land, okay, we have seen the number seven come up, and we have seen commandments in the law come up, that are all about holiness, and setting yourself apart, and making something sanctified, and having a religious, or uh, you know, biblical concept. There are concepts here, but it's not a ritual like you would perform in the tabernacle. This has solely to do with our treatment of the land. It is not has not a religious aspect. This is purely practical. Okay, there is nothing to say when you go out to your yard, you have to bless it and give a sacrifice, and you have to. This is just completely understanding the practicality of using the land now we're going to talk about this in a minute and i think some of you already understand some of the concepts because of the uh, the time we live in but this is not a commandment about holiness now notice there is no restrictions to work i need to be careful you're not supposed to sow or reap in that work but you remember god in those other sevens had said when you get to a sabbath you're not supposed to do any work Okay, you can't walk so far from your house. You can't lift certain things that are heavy. You can't rake. You can't get. That's not this kind of thing. This is just you let the land rest. You can carry on your daily life. You can walk wherever you want to walk. You can travel where you want to travel. You can lift. You can work. You can do all the things that daily life has to do. You just can't sow and reap in the land. All right, does that make sense? I want to make sure that as we're discussing this, we're understanding that this is not about. A religious right. Okay, this was not about carrying out specific things to worship God with. This was specifically addressed to let the land rest. Okay, that's where I wanted to... Now, does that mean there's not biblical picture here? No, absolutely. God never writes anything in his word that doesn't have some sort of application to our lives. And we'll be looking at that in a minute. But remember, next slide... So says, remember, the Sabbath day was a holy convocation. It was supposed to be set aside. That is the Sabbath day. Okay, that was Saturday. Okay, we've talked about this before. Not Sunday, Saturday. It has always been Saturday. Um, Another thing, please, to keep in mind, um, Adam didn't remember the Sabbath day. Had nothing to do with Adam. Abraham, Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph none of those guys remembered the sabbath day none of those guys kept the sabbath day we didn't know anything about the sabbath day until moses okay sometimes in our minds because we have in christianity kind of mishandled what the sabbath day means that people have made it a sunday and then you can't open your stores on sunday because it's the sabbath and you know that the church it was never written for the church it was never written for god's people i'll say that with a caveat it was written for the children of israel okay as a nation because again abraham isaac jacob joseph they were the children of israel right jacob known as israel and all his 12 tribes and everything until this point when they've come out of egypt and become this nation to going to the promised land that's the only time that the sabbath was instituted Okay, when it comes to the church and Gentiles, not a single Gentile, not a single church, not a single Christian was expected to keep the Sabbath. Okay, I'm putting all this into, into qualification just because sometimes we, we just blow past the Sabbath and, and think we've all understood it because how Christian and Christendom has handled it for years and it hasn't always been right. Okay, it is Saturday, it has always been Saturday, and it is nothing that the church or a Gentile has to have anything to do with. It is specifically for the Jews, okay, once they were given the law. All right, this is a sabbatical year. It is for the land to rest. Okay? It was not something where you were supposed to offer sacrifices. It was not something where you had to do anything religious. It was just God's commandment to let things rest. Have I hit that enough? If you hear the word rest, uh, it, it, you guys, uh, you know, uh, they have these weird drinking games you can do. And why I'm talking about drinking games from the high bulb, pulpit, I don't know. But they have that thing where if you hear a certain phrase, you take a shot, you'd all be sl- sloshed here because we're going to say rest about 500 times this morning because that's what God is reminding us of. Okay, and I told you this is going to be a simple introduction. This is talking about rest. Now, next slide. Deuteronomy, if you want to go there, we're not going to read it today, but Deuteronomy chapter 15, the entire chapter deals with this as well. What happens on this sabbatical year? A couple of things happen. Number one, debts are released, not forgiven, and we'll talk about that next week, that you would indebt yourself to someone. Um, Back in those days, servanthood was not a unheard of thing i'm trying to word this in the right way god didn't approve of slavery but you would sell yourself to someone as a servant does that make sense okay um sort of like we do now when we walk into a bank and take a loan and you sign your firstborn child your arm your leg and everything else on that paper that says i'm going to pay back this debt well in the children of Israel's days and the agreements that God had, is you could say, I am going to purchase. I can't pick on Jim anymore. He's not sitting right there. Okay, so Jim owns this uh, wonderful or, uh, piece of land. I need money. I'm hurting. I'm poor. I'm really, and I will sell myself to Jim for the next four years to work so that he can give me money to take care of myself, and I will pay that back by becoming his servant. Okay, and we'll talk about indentured servants versus bond slaves, bond servants later on, but it was not unheard of for you to sell yourself, okay, to that person. We see this in the life of Laban, and Jacob when he's trying to earn his uh, wife, wife, okay, um, where he agrees to work for seven years for her. Okay, we see this all through the scripture. That's what this is talking about when it says that a Jew would sell themselves into servanthood, would be freed on this seventh year. Okay? Um, there are more to it. We'll look into it next week. I tell you, we, we can't cover it all today. This is sort of intro. But there are a time in which, if you made an agreement with someone, that I, uh, and they say, I want such and such money, and it's the sixth year, and they know on the seventh year you get freed, the deal's off because I only get you for one year. okay? I'll, I'll loan you $1,000, but I'm not going to owe you $10,000. But if it's on the first year and you know you can have an agreement for six years, I'll give you $10,000, you and you'll work that off over the next six years before you're freed. Okay, yeah. Um, so I just want this to be understood. Part of this sabbatical year is that debts were released for that year and slaves were freed okay servants were freed we're going to talk more about uh, another year in which debts are completely forgiven in a few minutes but that's what this is all about we are talking about letting the land rest and that things go back to the original state okay let's keep going nothing could be planted in the seventh year verses three through seven Okay, we just read. For centuries, how many of you have uh, known that you can't plant the same crops over and over and over every year? Okay, okay. As we've grown up in sort of an agricultural society, some of us who are not necessarily city folk understand this. Even the field that's right back out here on the back side of the church, they plant feed corn for a couple of years and then they'll come in and plant alfalfa or something else because you rotate the crops. All right? God understood that this was a necessity. But he says, uh, you plant for six years. On the seventh year, you can't plant. Okay, it needs to rest. Uh, We've learned to rotate crops. Nowadays, you know, they don't let the land rest for a whole year, but they will uh, plant a different crop. So the nutrients in the soil come into it. This is something that's not unheard of. This is something, again, that God knew, and it confirmed by science. Okay? An amazing picture. And I had heard this by one of my pastors. Friends. I have never traveled to Haiti or the Dominican Republic to see that island. But one of the things that this pastor said, when you are flying over that area, you can see the boundary line between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And it's amazing. It's not like they went out there with a big paintbrush and painted the line, but the Dominican Republic is green and lush. But if you get right to that line and step over to the other side, Haiti is dry and arid and dead. And it's amazing. I Googled it. Go home and do it if you want to. You can look at just aerial view of the boundary, and you will see one side is green and one side's dead. Okay, and one of the issues, spiritually they'll say because Haiti has been such a hotbed for uh, demonic worship that there's been consequences but one of the other things is they beat their land to death they overplanted they overharvested um, there's also issues and Dan could probably tell you more about this cuz he's been there the same thing happened in Israel it used to be a lush beautiful land and now not so much until they started as a matter of fact there's an instance in the scripture we may read it in a week or two where They didn't keep this sabbatical year for 490 years. 490 years went by and they didn't once remember this sabbatical year. And it's just then that they go into the Babylonian captivity for 70 years, which is exactly the number that you needed to make up for those lost years. So it's amazing that God says, Oh, you're not going to keep my commandments and let the land rest? Well, I'm going to take you into captivity and the land's going to rest for 70 years when you're not here. Okay, God's serious about this. I mean, it's important. All right, so, um, next one. The first lesson that you and I need to learn that is taught from this is trust God because He's going to provide. Now, I don't know about you. I, I have my garden out there, and this year I'm hoping to plant more than I did the last couple of years because of just the climate that we're in, uh, not the sun and the temperature, I mean the political climate, and seeing that the store shelves are empty and things like that are going on. Um, So you want to plant a garden, plant some food. Well, imagine agreeing to not plant for an entire year. Okay, your food comes from what you plant, and all of a sudden God says, no, you're going to take a whole year off. And you're going to have to trust me that I'll provide for your needs. okay? And you're going to have to trust that in that sixth year, I'm going to give you enough that you can set aside that it'll cover you for the seventh year. I don't know about you, but I, I find that hard to do. Okay, we talked already about how important the first fruits are and how much of a struggle it was just when that, those first fruits those plants start first producing fruit and you get your tomatoes and your crop and you're like yes food and god says i want you to give me that and people hemmed and hawed because wait a second i don't know if next month we're going to have a drought and these plants won't give us anything yeah but the first fruit belongs to god now he's telling them there's going to be a whole year that you don't harvest anything you don't sow you don't reap you're going to have to trust me Now, that's That's contrary to what our brain calculates, but that's exactly how God wants you and I to act. Because anything and everything we get is a gift from God, isn't it? Even if you planted on the fifth year and you had a bumper crop, that's still God providing. The hardship is agreeing that I'm going to totally trust God. And there's a few phases here. Six years you'd sow, but the seventh year... He's trusting God, hoping that, man, the stuff we laid up from last year is going to do us good. Where do the blessings truly come from? Amen. it's funny that a lot of times when you talk to farmers, and um, I don't know how it is nowadays in the last few years, things have gotten really weird in this world, but a lot of farmers understand that there's a higher power for sure if not recognizing that it's God. Because there's truly no way that any human being can cause crops to grow the way they can. They can't control the weather. They can't... That God himself is the one. As a matter of fact, I was uh, reminded that even in the Mayan culture, still today there in South America, um, there are those that call corn, the corn... um, The name that they use for corn... um, Is not like maize, like, you know, the Indians, or we call it corn. The word translates for them, his grace is how it translates, meaning that we understand that this corn is only because God has given it to us. That's the word that's used for that crop. It's amazing to me that it's reflected over and over that we understand that anything that we get from God is because he's given it. Now, with that in mind, next slide, second lesson to be learned because God owns everything anyway, doesn't he? Now, we talked about this when we were talking about giving and, and talking about the sacrifices and stuff, that it all belongs to God. And we squabble now and then, ah, the preacher's talking about tithing, you know, going after my 10%. Listen, God owns 100%. So if you have to say, oh, seven years, I've got to take this one off, well, God owns it all, doesn't he? He owns every bit of it, doesn't he? I heard a phrase, um, did I write it down? I don't even know if I did. Okay, Israel had the promised land. However, it didn't belong to them. They were only stewards. It's God's land. And I use this in prayer. And I don't even remember if I wrote this down in my slides. I'll have to see the next slide come up. Yeah, there it is. One of the greatest truths that you and I can learn in this life is that we are not owners, but we are managers. We're not owners, we're managers. You own your home? No, you don't. It's God's. You own the piece of property your home is on? No, you don't. You own your car? No, you don't. The clothes? How about your health? Everything belongs to God. What? Know ye not that your body, I'll get to that, it's a verse up here. We tend to take care of things. You ever do this? You borrow something from somebody, you really take good care of it, don't you? That's not, that's not mine. I hope you do. I know I do. When I borrow something, I'm, I, half the time I treat it way better than I treat something that's my own. Why? Because it's not mine. I've got to take care of it. It doesn't belong to me. Well, see, this is this entire picture and the lesson that God's trying to teach these children of Israel. Yeah, when you get to the land, and I'll tell you one thing, uh, you and I have experienced jews in their uh daily life and in their cultural and religious expressions and how much are they focused on their land i can't wait to go back to the land it's our land it belongs to us palestine and israel are at war over the land 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 and they've forgotten the truth that's being taught here that it's not their land it's just god's land they just have the ability to use it Okay, uh, you see it up here, the field at the end of 12a where the little circle by 711 is. uh, They'll let the hay grow long, right? And then the farmer from down the street comes and takes all the hay. Why? He's using their land to grow. Out here, this land back here is not owned by the people that plant it. Okay, they just borrow the land, plant the feed corn, and then harvest it. It's not their land, but they're using it. This is the same thing we're trying to teach with this God's picture. You and I, nothing in our lives we own. It's all God's. We're just managers. Now, that ought to make you treat things a little bit better, shouldn't it? Now, here's the thing, and Dan and I kind of have this opinion. Some of the troubles that the church has had down through the years is because we've owned buildings, right? Dan, we've talked about this. You know, whether it's, the Catholic religion that we've dumped billions of dollars into buildings, or even us as Christians, sometimes we get so focused on this physical building and we know the studs and the drywall and the carpet and anything have nothing to do with God's church. However, it's all owned by God and we're just stewards. So if this is God's building and we are supposed to take care of God's things better than we take care of our own things... Sometimes it makes me ashamed when I walk in and see some of the things in this church and go, hmm, people around, especially people in this world, think that this is our representation of what God means to us. If this building belongs to God and we're just take caring, taking care of it for him, hmm, what kind of job are we doing taking care of it? Now that's just scratching the surface. Everything you and I own. Dan was talking today, and I didn't realize it, didn't read ahead, about Gaius. And here's a man, and if you weren't in Sunday school, get the recording. If you were uh, and you would like to be, please show up at 9.30. We're covering Third John. But one of the things that Gaius did was he used the things that God had provided for him to minister to other believers, When other believers were traveling through, he opened up his home. He opened up the things that God... He was a person that took the abundance that God had given him and realized this stuff isn't mine. I'm going to use it. It's on loan for God, and I'm going to provide for other believers through that. Too often, you and I, and especially in this world, you you, you know the old phrase of, I'm looking out for number one. Me, me, me. My body, my choice, my rights, my, my, my... Man, besides the whole issue that's at hand with that in the public eye right now, you as a believer, nothing is mine. You know, that's one of the things that children, where you see the flesh come out, in the earliest ages of their life, little child, mine. Mine. It's one of the first things they learn, right? Mine. Mine. We as Christians got to be careful because as believers, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. God owns all of it. We need to be careful that we think that something that we have is for our use only. Be careful. Now I'm not saying, please, you know, we don't need to be monks and you know wear burlap and a rope and live in a commune. God does give us abundance, and Dan covered that this morning too about the Gaius and Paul wishing—I mean John wishing—that um, his abundance in the regular life would match his abundance in the flesh. There's nothing wrong with living abundantly as long as we understand that it's there for us to be servants of God. That's why in the song we just sang, every need He is supplying plenteous grace he bestows why because god gives us what we need to function the longer i serve him this is why we said oh a few years ago in an illustration it's like having a pantry and every time you open the door you grab something off the shelf to use for the lord and you turn around and it's still there you remember how Elijah kept taking the oil and the, the, uh, that never got empty? That's what we're talking about. God owns it all. Everything we need, he will provide. But, 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 but if I give to God or if I use this for the Lord, then I won't have it. It's not yours in the first place. But I guarantee you, if you need it to serve God, he's going to provide it. Awesome. There's so many things today that confirm this. Dan was sharing about a fellow in what Nigeria, you know, Nairobi, Kenya, who was praying for money, and God provided a job. God will provide what you and I need, and that's what this lesson is all about. That's this intro that we're setting up. We're not owners; we're managers. This whole issue of this Sabbath year was to remind the children of Israel that the law, land wasn't theirs in the first place and God would provide anything that they could possibly need. Let it rest. Stop worrying. The other thing is this last phrase. We don't get that worried about things that don't belong to us, do we? Okay. If you rent a car, the old joke is, yeah, you better put the insurance on that rent-a-car because I'm going to beat it to death when I have it. Right? Because you're not worried. I don't own it. Now, I hope you don't do that. But this is why we rent a car, right? I don't want to drive 1,200 miles in this weekend and put it on my own car. I'm going to rent it and give it, use somebody else's car to do it. Why? I don't have to worry about it. You get a flat tire and rent a car, whoops. Hey, okay? you're not worried because you don't own it. Well, sometimes we get so tied up in the things of this world because we've grasp these possessions that we think we own and we tie them directly to our lives and to our emotions and to you know our self-worth and everything and if we just release them and realize they're not ours in the first place you know if this building burnt to the ground the lord i don't want the building to burn to the ground okay but we'd still meet as a church next week wouldn't we because this building's the lord if he sees fit that that happens we still keep going the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? It all belongs to him. Okay, next slide. Maybe. Okay, here it is. So everything belongs to God, right? We know this verse, but I put it up here. I've already quoted it twice this morning. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you, which ye have of God, and you are not your own? therefore glorify uh, yeah excuse me for you are bought with a price therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's every single thing about us has no ownership on our part we are his everything we own is his so if he tells us to do something with what he owns we ought to do it okay just an amazing truth okay next slide So, next section here. So we learned about the number seven and how it is played out in every year. Seventh year is that sabbatical year, okay? And you are supposed to carry out these things. Well, look at verse eight. So God doubles down a little more on this and makes something extra special. Verse eight. And thou shalt number seven sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, okay, the space of seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee 49 years. So I think God spelled it out pretty clear here. He said seven sevens or seven times sevens or just in case you missed it, 49 years, all right? 49 years, thou shalt cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the 10th day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement, thou shalt make a trumpet sound throughout your land Uh, "'Ye shall shall hallow the fiftieth year "'and proclaim liberty throughout all the land "'unto all the inhabitants thereof. "'It shall be a jubilee unto you, "'and ye shall return every man unto his own possession, "'and ye shall return every man unto his family, "'a jubilee that shall that fiftieth year be unto you. "'Ye shall not sow, neither reap that which you've grown,' Of itself in it, neither uh, nor gather the grapes in it thereof, uh, of thy vine undressed. For it is the Jubilee, it shall be holy unto you, ye shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of Jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his own possession. So God numbers seven Sabbath years. So every seven years, you're supposed to remember this. You're supposed to let the land rest. But on this 50th year is the year of Jubilee. And the same thing. You set aside the land. You're not going to do any sowing. You're not going to be doing any reaping, planting, all that kind of stuff. You are going to let the land rest again. Now, take that into consideration. We just came off the seventh year, which we didn't do anything. And now the next year, we're not going to do anything either. Talk about trusting God. Now two years of not doing anything to the land. Okay, again, it's putting this idea of that God, but this is a celebration. This is a sounding of a trumpet in praise and glory and worship of God. We'll cover more of that next week because notice it happened not on January 1st, not in the fourth month when the first feasts take place it happens on the day of atonement on the 10th day it focuses on that we'll look at that next week that it's tied to the day of atonement on why this year of jubilee takes place but okay after seven sabbatical years 49 years the 50th year is the year of jubilee it will be holy it will be set apart different than the sabbatical years where all it was was just letting the land rest now this is something that's special it's supposed to be hollowed okay two years without sowing but god will provide in abundance all right god talks about this we'll read into it next week where he says i will give you the extra in the years before the year of jubilee i will give you abundance that you will have plenty next slide everything goes back to its original owner now again i told you some of this is introduction please um You understand that when the children of Israel left Egypt and God had given them the promised land that he had divided the different pieces of the promised land to different tribes, right? The tribe of Dan has this and the tribe of Ephraim has this and, you know, all these different tribes had different lands. Well, what happens if all of a sudden now you're selling off all your parcels of land that belongs to your family and your tribe? What does that do to God's plan about the land being divided between all the tribes well in the year of jubilee that's cleared up because everything goes back to its original owner and we'll look more about that next week but if i sold my land for such and such an amount because i needed the money when the 50th year came back that land returned to my possession how'd you like that these days right you got your old grandpa's house that he built with his own hands back in the 1800s And you sold it off because you needed money and the kids and everything, but the 50th year rolls around and you say, all right, out, time to take the homestead back. Okay, but God is so careful in this picture about making sure that everything gets returned back to its original owner. Okay, keep that in mind. We'll rehearse that again next week. I hope that's making you have a few thoughts in your mind that in God's plan for the universe that he had designed something And when the year of Jubilee happens, everything goes back to the way it originally was. How awesome is that? There's more, oh man, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Okay, okay, God created this universe using this picture of sevens. He could have created it in a moment, couldn't he? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God stood up and said, let there be everything. Poof. Right? God could have very easily done that. He didn't. He chose specifically to lay out this seven, that six of it would be work. And because God was so exhausted on the seventh day from all the work that he did, he had to rest. Okay, he'd been on his feet for six full days. He had to kick back with a nice tea, right? No. God could have spoken it all in one moment and taking care of it god deliberately at the very beginning reminded us that there's six and then rest six and then rest okay that's where this comes into picture he was not tired next slide god has a pattern of seven sevens now again i'm a science nut i can talk to you about some of the concepts behind some of this later on but i want to remind you of the pattern and then we'll be done because this is imperative that we understand this as an introduction Number one, in creation, in the beginning, God used six days to create, and then he rested. There's a pattern, okay? God's commandment to Moses in the law, you're going to work for six days on Saturday, the Sabbath, you'll rest. Six, and then rest, okay? On the seventh Sabbath, the Feast of Weeks, okay, we talked about that, okay, we call it the Feast of Pentecost nowadays, okay? Okay? You work, and then there's a, a, a holy day set apart for rest. 7th, seven on the 7th month, there's three feasts that God had set aside. Next slide. 7 years, a sabbatical year. Okay, 6 years go by of work, 7th is rest. All right, The 7 times 7 sabbatical years, the land rests during the year of Jubilee. You see the pattern, sixty six, six and then on the seventh, there's rest. Sixth, seventh, there's rest. Here's the big one, guys. 6,000 years, and the thousand year is a year of is rest. Now, here's where you're going to dig into your mind for a minute, and you're going to hear a lot of different things that you've heard through your life, and people say, oh, you can't possibly believe that. Next slide. The time frame of God's Bible on his creation occurred about 6,000 years, give and take a few years, okay? When you take the time frame, and there are people like Bishop Usher and some others who have broken down the different generations and the ages that people grew to. You wonder why God says, and so and so lived to be 123 and begot something. And God, God gives us ages so that we can put some time frame on it, but there's got to understand that lunar calendars, solar calendars, all kinds of ways we date things. You and I can't pin it down to an actual day. As a matter of fact, uh, if you haven't realized this, I'm gonna I'm gonna crush your world right now, okay, ready? Jesus was not born on December twenty fifth. No. no. What a shocker. Okay? Santa Claus didn't deliver him. No. Okay. There's some dates we just don't know. We we have to assume, but there are certain things we can track back. If you take the understanding of the scripture that we have, that creation took place some four thousand years uh, before Christ was born. That's doing the math. Now I know there are tons of people who will tell you millions of years and billions of years and even Christians who will tell you 10,000 years and 12,000 years and all kinds of stuff. I'm just telling you, if you open the scriptures and do calculations from the Bible, there's about a 4,000 year period and that is where Adam and Eve would have existed in the garden. Okay, you want to have scientific debates about that later? we could sit down and spend hours talking about it i'm not talking about in debating i'm talking about a concept of in the bible adam and eve 4000 years after christ what's the year today 2022 we're about 2000 years after well if you take 4000 and 2000 what does that add up to 6000 now the pattern in god's word is six and then rest six and then rest we're coming up to the millennium which is a thousand years of rest and actually guys when we studied the book of revelation it's called the millennium of rest isn't it amazing that in god's design he has pictured this pattern from the moment he spoke the first thing into creation that there would be a six and then rest a six and the seventh of rest six and a seventh of rest there's a pattern we can debate about fossils. We can debate about you know Mayans and you know, all these Egyptian cultures and everything else. I'm just telling you that God set a pattern in His Word, and I tend to believe God's patterns more than anything else. That He says it's about six thousand years, and then something special is going to happen. Okay, for about seven years, it ain't going to be too special. It's called the tribulation. But as soon as the tribulation, we enter a thousand years of rest. There'll be six thousand, and then the seventh of rest. And then you really—I didn't put this in the notes—but we understand in the scriptures the number eight is the first new again, right? We talked about that—that you come back to Sunday. It's the eighth day in the count, but it's the first one again, right? We talk about the scale on the on the piano, right? Do re mi fa sol la ti do you got to go to the first note again do you go seven and into the eighth well after the seventh of rest there's a new heaven and a new earth it reverts back and remember what we just read that in the year of jubilee everything will return to its original owner talk about how god has laid this thing out so cool every single piece and here written in the law of moses completed throughout the whole bible god's telling us his plan for the universe my god is sovereign my god knows what he's doing now there's some more amazing stuff we're going to look at next week all tied to this about what kind of land reverts back to its owner what kind doesn't and how that pictures your and i relationship versus the children of israel's relationship with god in the future it's amazing but i want you to understand number one none of this belongs to us we're just managers So don't get too tied to it because if uh, this is my last day on earth and i take my last breath i ain't taking any of it with me if the trumpet sounds and he calls us all home we're not taking any of it with us it all belongs to god so we're just stewards of it the second thing is god has a plan and uh, if you do the calculations, about 4,000 years and about 2022, we're really close to the Lord coming again. And I believe that. I really do. Now, what does that mean? That could be 100 years from now in the scope of things. Okay? Um, so many of us, uh, you read uh, theologians that we respect greatly, and they thought the Lord was coming when they were still alive. Okay? Things are set up. It won't be that long. God's coming again. He's got a plan. He's working it. Trust him. Amen? But I just like the fact, and again, that God deserves worship because of how sovereign he is. He has laid this thing out from the very beginning when he's decided on the sixth day to say, creation looks good, and now I'm going to rest because I need to teach these folks what that rest really means. So when you and I talk about the Sabbath... And everybody squabbles about Saturday and Sunday and whether you ought to mow your lawn on the Sabbath day or something like that. They're missing the picture. The picture of the Sabbath has always been about rest. That at some point, God's going to complete His plan and bring it all to where He planned it to be and it will all revert back to its rightful owner. And someday, the Lord Jesus Christ will set His feet down on this planet, and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and this earth during that 7,000 will revert back to its owner. The prince of the power of the air owns it now. He's borrowed time. He's a squatter on this planet. But someday soon, God's going to take it back because it belongs to him. How awesome is God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Man, Lord, (laughs) What a joy this brings to my heart. Lord, I don't have to worry about the things of this world. This isn't my home. I'm just passing through. We'll see next week, Lord, that there is a, a promised inheritance tied to this that when I enter that walled city that's promised to me. Whew. But Father, I know that uh, I'm just a manager now. I'm just taking care of the things that you've uh, put in my care. Lord, I'm a servant and you've provided the things i need to be the best servant father i also thank you that you've got your plan worked out i don't have to worry none of us do lord you're working it right from the beginning and even before the first human being had been put on this earth you had already decided to make a picture of a seventh of rest just conveying your entire plan and picture And so, Father, I just thank you. Help us, Lord, as we go out into this world not to be focused on self. Lord, I take way better care of things that are borrowed, that belong to someone else. And, Lord, this is borrowed time. This is a borrowed life. I'm in a borrowed body with borrowed provisions, Lord. Everything I have is put here so that I can be a servant for you. Lord, help us to go out there and reach people for Christ because that's the only reason we're still left on this planet. Father, help us to be a witness. Thank you for being so awesome. In Jesus' name, amen.